0: It's time
1: for JT the Brick.
0: Raider Nation, unite! We're a show based on fans.
1: Embrace the culture, embrace the history of this organization.
0: Feels like football.
2: Man, you know, since I've been here, I've only had one winning season. So really, like, all the individual accolades don't really mean nothing when you don't win.
0: That's a gritty, gutty win!
2: Yeah, this is what I dreamed
0: of. You know, this is is what it's all about. We're not going backwards. We're going to do this right. Obviously, you know, we would love to. You know, play in a Super Bowl in our hometown. They hate you. They despise you. They think you're a bunch of thugs.
3: JT the Brick.
0: Who's the number one rival of the Broncos? The Raiders. Who's the number one rival of the Chargers? The Raiders. Who's the number one rival of Kansas City? Without question, the Oakland, L.A., and now Las Vegas Raiders.
1: Honestly,
2: I don't care who I play against. I go out there, I I don't discriminate. I treat everybody the same way. When we we go out there, and I'm more concerned about what we're doing as a football team and what I'm doing personally.
0: And now, your Las Vegas Raiders.
3: Here's JT the Brick. Out
0: of the gate, JT in studio with Bobby. Today, big, big show, man. Actually, a monster show. We're loaded up. Former, and he's not former because he's involved with this show, but the former HBO boxing blow-by-blow commentator, Jim Lampley in 15 minutes. What a broadcasting career he's had. One of the best interviews I've ever done throughout my career. Multiple times he's involved with this Canelo fight coming up this weekend, which I'll be at. Jim Lampley here in about 15 minutes. Bottom of the hour whiz, Steve Wisniewski, Once a Raider, always a Raider. Now, I have the pleasure of being able to choose who I'd like every week. You know, we had Fred Bolitnikoff. We had Phil Villapiano, right? We've had some big names right out of the gate. And I said, why don't we get Wiz here? And our our colleagues over at the Raiders said, yeah, that sounds good. Why? Because the offensive line needs to wake up. Offensive line needs to get going. So let's bring in one of the nastiest football players to ever live who's the nicest guy I've ever met. A nice guy who on game day would tear your head off and shove it down your throat and run you over, which I kind of think the team needs going into L.A. So I thought Wiz would be perfect, and we got him as we open it up. So we got a big show. Then uh, Bill Williamson, who's been covering the Raiders longer than anyone, longer than anyone in our individual group here of insiders. He's very critical of the team now. We're going to put him on for his perspective. Uh, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, the franchise. Uh, the undisputed longest tenured radio host in Southern California history. I started through the Jim Rome Show. He was there even before. He's going to join us. He does not like the Raiders, never has, and he's not thrilled that the Chargers left San Diego. It'll be a good interview. He'll be very honest and blunt also. And then Vinny Bonsignore. That is a murderer's row I have lined up today. If you're able to get on the show, I'd love to talk to you. 702-365-9200 is the number. So Josh McDaniel spoke at 11 a.m. about an hour ago, and it looks like Jimmy G is in protocol and going through protocol. I don't know if he's progressing well. I don't know how good it is. I don't know what to do. I, I, this is a tough topic for me because I cannot talk about the status of an injured player, a player going through an issue personally like Chandler Jones, or a player who's in protocol. And I know some of you understand it. Like 2% of you don't. And those are the ones who seem to flood Twitter. But the ones who understand that understand that. So here's what I hope happens. I hope that Jimmy G, if he doesn't practice, plays. Let me be the first to say that because Joe Burrow just did it. Joe Burrow did it with a calf. Concussions are different. I totally get it. Jimmy G doesn't need a minute of practice, in my opinion. He doesn't need a minute of practice to play if he's cleared. So that's the topic. If Jimmy G is not cleared, he can't play. He doesn't pass protocol. Don't give me any garbage about if he passes. He he didn't practice this week, and they're not sure if he can play. Coach McDaniels isn't going to say that. I wouldn't say that. If Jimmy G gets cleared which is now a very tough road because the league takes concussions very seriously. If he gets cleared, he doesn't need 30 seconds of practice to play in this game. He's practiced his whole bleep in life. He's been injured a bunch. If he has the opportunity to play and start in a football game, there is no doubt in my mind. He'll play no doubt in my mind, but he's got a clear protocol. So why talk about it? Why open up the phones on this? It's, irrelevant until we find out that he's progressing through and that he's going to be cleared. And then when he is cleared, I don't care if he practiced 10 minutes or not, get him on the plane to L.A., have him warm up because he's a good quarterback, he's not playing well now, he's had a long career, and it's been at a high level. He wins a lot more games than he loses. He gives the Raiders a much better chance to win the game than Aiden O'Connell would in his first ever game against Justin Herbert or Brian Hoyer. He gives the Raiders a much better chance. If he doesn't play, you know where I stand on this. Play Aiden O'Connell. He gives you a better chance to alarm, alarm the masses and have this game that I think he could have And if you haven't heard the show all week, I said I would have not kicked a field goal. I would have went for the touchdown. So anybody who criticizes me for not having an opinion, you're lost. You're lost and stay in your loserville. I just gave you the three most important opinions in all of Raider Nation. There is nothing more on the Mount Rushmore of Raider Nation this week than the three topics that I will repeat again. Number one, I would have went for the touchdown, not the field goal. Check. Number two, if Jimmy G can play at any cost he plays, he gives us the best chance to win. And three, if he can't play, then I start Aiden O'Connell. That's it. Those are the three biggest topics. I got them done six minutes into the monologue, brought to you by P.T.'s, the best happy hour in town. Man, I could go to happy hour, 5 to 7, midnight to 2. Bobby's winking. I feel like I can go to happy hour right now, man, but I'll wait 5 to 7, midnight to 2, great lunch, everything they're doing with the Raider jersey giveaway, sign up, be a part of what our good friends are doing at Golden Entertainment as we open up the show. Today I walked my dog. I went for a swim in the pool. I did a podcast with Tom Looney. My day was beautiful. It was a great day. My wife was there having coffee with me outside. The sun is gorgeous. There was no distress in my life. There's no chaos. There's no panic. I'm not panicking. I'm just. This is one of the many jobs I have, and this one I love a lot. And I'm just going to come in big, and I'm going to interview a bunch of people and get their opinions on what they think Raider and NFL-related because there's a lot of topics. Also, breaking news, Damian Lillard was just traded to the Bucks as part of a three-team deal. Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo will work together. That is a massive deal, massive deal. You get two of the top ten players in the entire sport playing together. Giannis I think is one or two right there with the Joker who plays in Denver and won a championship. When you look at him and, and, and Nicole, uh, who the two best players in the world are, they're both international. One from Serbia, one from Greece. So Giannis already has an MVP who'll play with Damian Lillard. If you look at Lillard, the one-seed Bucks lost to the eight-seed Heat. Jimmy Butler's popping off because everybody thought he was going to Miami. And Jimmy Butler's talking about potential tampering on how he went there. It's not an NBA show today, but I had to lead with this. This is a big story. And Lillard goes. He's from Oakland. I've been in the parking lot with his dad uh, before black hole tailgate parties. Lillard goes from a small market in Portland to a small market in Milwaukee. He doesn't go to my Knicks. No one wants to play for my Knicks. It's amazing. <laughs> no, one, no one wants to play at Madison Square Garden. You're, okay, so he moves from Portland. He's going to live in Milwaukee. But there aren't many Bucks fans listening to the show. But maybe they are because the Packers are coming in for the next game. And will there be Packer fans? I went on a radio show yesterday. Everybody talking about how many tickets were sold, how many Steeler fans can get into the stadium. I have an MBA in this topic. I'm a season ticket holder. People want to pay triple the price to sit in my seats. I don't sell in my seats. They buy everyone else's seats, and that's what happens. There's no, there's no, there's no analytics behind it. There's no answer. It's not a trivia question. How come people are sitting in Allegiant Stadium because they're coming to F1 they're coming to Aces games. They're coming to everything they can get. They're coming to dinner. They're coming to the Sphere to see you 2 They're going downtown to Circa to Stadium Swim. People are just flying in here. Every 30 seconds a plane is landing. And a lot of those on Saturday and Sunday want to go to a football game at Legion and see their team. Can't stop it. I am not the ticket police. But I've talked to amongst all of you face-to-face at the torch on what this looks like. And hopefully it looks like that at SoFi Stadium coming up here on Sunday. Hopefully there's a lot of Raider fans. I think there will be. I think there'll be a lot of Raider fans. Will that win the game? No. Will it give the Raiders energy if they need it? I don't know. I didn't play football. Maybe Max looks up behind him, and there's you know 4,000 Raider fans right behind him in the lower bowl, and it helps him get a half a sack. I don't know. It can't hurt. The Raiders need something now. The Raiders need a wake-up call right now. I don't know what the wake-up call is because I believe the team is playing poorly on both sides of the ball. The quarterback isn't playing well. The leading rusher isn't playing well. The offensive line isn't playing well. The interior defensive line isn't playing well. And the safeties aren't playing. I wouldn't say well, but they're not playing great. So other than Daniel Carlson, other than Colt Miller maybe, Daniel Carlson, Diablo on a couple of plays, uh, the team needs a massive massive wake-up call. That's it. How you deem the wake-up call needs to happen is not normally what I do, and I won't do that. It's not fire the coach, fire the GM. I don't do that here for obvious reasons. With a team flagship station. We have a level of respect here. Other people don't. I get that. But the players, that's why we're getting Steve Wisniewski on today, they need a shot of adrenaline and a wake-up call. Devontae Adams gave them that with two touchdowns in the last game. I believe that Devontae and Max are obviously two of the great players on this team. A unit needs to step up in this game. A unit, which would be the linebackers, the corners, uh, the interior offensive line, whoever it is, someone needs to show up to work and play much better than they've played. The evaluation process has started with this new regime. They deconstructed the roster to bring in players that they believe give them a better chance to win. The jury is out on those players now. The jury is out on those players because a lot of the players that were brought in are not playing at the level they're supposed to play at. Now, another big part of that is because these players now are going up against um, superior competition. The front of the Steelers... And the overall Buffalo Bills are better than the current Las Vegas Raiders. Chargers, maybe. Maybe the Chargers. I think the Chargers have a better roster currently than the Raiders. But Mike Williams is gone for the year. They got a coach who blunders every fourth down call most of the time. So I think these two teams are evenly matched. Enough where the Raiders can go and win on the road, but they have to show me that. And they haven't shown me that this year. They beat Denver the way they beat Denver. I thought was really important. They closed out a game. They proved that they wouldn't blow a lead. They didn't have the lead. And, and, and Well, they did in Buffalo. They had it the opening drive, and then it was gone. And then they had it against the Steelers, and they let that slip away, and they ran out of time and gas. Last point in the monologue. Last point. I'm, I'm not hiding from anybody. Former coaches, current coaches, executives, the owner. Everybody knows that my philosophy is to play faster. Just play faster. Don't huddle up when you don't need to huddle up. Make the plays simpler. Run simpler plays and run them faster. And run them to the best players who can make the plays. And I think that's maybe what could get the Raiders out of this bit of a rut. Is that a word I can use here? Am I allowed to use that? They're in a rut right now. They're in a rut. They can't stop anybody on defense. The completion percentage of opposing quarterbacks are out of control. Out of control. And Justin Herbert has the best completion percentage in the league. So he's going to play pitch and catch with his receivers if he isn't blitzed. If he is blitzed, there's a chance for someone to be wide open. So what I would do is I would bring another corner. I wouldn't take Hobbs off the field. I wouldn't take Jacorian Bennett off the field. I'd put Palomal on the field, and I would do something to shake this up, and I would do something to blitz and make Justin Herbert a little bit uncomfortable. If that happens. If that happens, then I think that maybe there could be a special play or two that can tip the game. This game is going to come down to the Raiders having a better opportunity for a turnover and the Raiders having explosive plays. How they're going to have explosive plays, it should be in the running game with the leading rusher, but that's not ready to go. And then the other thing that I think is really important as we open up the show is we just have to have – the players do a better job at the line of scrimmage. The offensive line and the defensive line have got to perform at a higher level. They stuck with this offensive line. Very young group. They decided instead of going out and getting free agent guard, free agent right tackle, that they would develop these young players because they're cost-effective as they're paying for Devontae and Max and other players. I get it. And then on the defensive line, They went in and drafted a couple of defensive tackles over the last couple of years, and none of them have flashed yet to the point where you're saying, oh, my God, these guys are unbelievable. So we'll get back to that in a second. One of the favorite people I've interviewed my entire career, I think the greatest boxing blow-by-blow commentator of all time, in town for the fight, Jim Lampley joins us. Jim, great to talk to you again. Hope you're well. Good to
3: talk to you, JT. Hope you're doing well also.
0: Absolutely. Let's jump in. You have and you still have a massive fastball left in your arsenal. When you look back on your entire career, calling fights, being there ringside, what brings you the greatest joy at this stage in your life with all the great events you broadcast in the past?
3: Um, just the general relationship with the culture of the sport, Uh It's the most human of sports. I always say that to people. We don't have, aside from the gloves, some gimmick convention by which to uh, enhance the metaphor for life. Uh, This is life. Boxing is the most directly metaphorical sport. It's the one that tells us the most about ourselves as human beings. I've always felt that way. Uh, So I love fighters and, and I love fight people. I had the privilege last night of going out and having dinner with uh, six or eight prominent boxing writers and uh, a couple of other people from uh, the, the organization I'm Working With, PPV.com. Uh, and it's been fantastic, great fun, rejuvenating to get back into this after five years uh, in the shade of the pine trees and uh, <laughs> and uh, oak trees in Chapel Hill uh, in a totally quiet Peaceful uh, academic environment, other than when a crazy gunman uh, goes and shoots somebody in a lab. But uh, but other than that, it's been really um, peaceful and rewarding, et cetera. And last night, I was back in in the maelstrom, back awesome. in the middle of all this sound and light and uh, electronics and stuff like that. And it was you know it was fun. Uh, I I missed it and I enjoyed being back.
0: Jim, what's bigger—the big, biggest of the biggest fights—the spectacle of it, especially if it's a good fight, or the upset that you've called coming out of nowhere that just makes it so much bigger because not many people expected it?
3: Well, they're both—they're both big, you know, and they're both meaningful. I mean, look—the uh, the two most colossal upsets I called that people think of as coming out of nowhere were Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson in Tokyo and George Foreman beating Michael Moore in Las Vegas to win Mm -hmm. the heavyweight championship at 45. And you could say, okay, those come out of nowhere, but they were both heavyweight championship fights. That's the symbolic pinnacle of the sport. Uh, So it wasn't as if I was uh, in some out of the way backyard neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I was right there in the center of the biggest of the drama at the moment when those two things took place. And those were the two most, surprising moments and most surprising results although uh, in both instances learning what I've learned about boxing over the years knowing all the things I know looking back both in terms of uh, the dynamics of the sport and the dynamics of the human beings involved not as unpredictable as people thought Uh, and there were logical reasons in both instances to realize that what took place could take place.
0: Jim Lampley, we'll get into what he's doing with PPV.com, coming up with the fight. Jim, the other thing, I'm mostly an NFL show here, especially in this day part, and your involvement in the NFL with NBC as a studio host, the work you've done in the past, what did you see early on in your broadcasting career in the NFL, and now you see it with the size of these stadiums, what Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft has done, Mark Davis, and Allegiant Stadium, SoFi Stadium, and and what's happening in the evolution of television with Amazon Prime and all stuff from Monday Night Football to Sunday Night Football being the biggest show. Are you a fan of the NFL? Do you think of it the same way as you did when you got into it as a broadcaster?
3: Well, listen, I, I, there's a difference between the romance. Of of When I was eight years old, uh, sitting with my mother in a living room in Hendersonville, North Carolina, watching on a black-and-white television set as a former down-on-his-luck sandlot cast-off quarterback uh, wearing number 19 for the Baltimore Colts calmly drives the Colts down the field to beat the Giants 23-17 in the very first overtime game ever played in NFL football that I witnessed that event and I've seen everything else that springs forth and plays off of that going forward to this day including Joe Namath uh, I guarantee it mm-hmm. uh in in uh, Miami but uh a- a- at the end of the day um I paid attention to what Merchant wrote in National Football Lottery I understood that the NFL was subsuming baseball's role as the national sport I understood that Betting had uh, a great deal to do with that. And now we've just gone further and further and further and expanding all of the interactions and atmospherics that uh, that kind of thing launched and instigated. One of the things that I teach in my course at the University of North Carolina, uh, Evolution of Storytelling in American Electronic News Media, Mm -hmm. is how uh, basic evolution in engineering, business structures, profits personnel, etc., all lead to changes in the content that's on the air. Content is the product of all the circumstances that surround it, whether we're talking about news, sports, or entertainment. So uh, in my course, I tried to teach students how to understand, here's a new piece of technology. How's that going to change the way the stories are told? Here's a new person who means something and is making a mark. How's that going to change the way stories are told? Here's a new story that deeply impacts mankind, talking COVID. How's that going to change the way stories are told? That was what it was all about. And what you're talking about with regard to the NFL is exactly the same thing. It's, it's a whole lot of micro-circumstances banding together to form macro, which is this huge complex of factors which leads to bigger stadiums, um, better-looking cheerleaders, et cetera, et cetera, all the way through in the continuing evolution of American sports.
0: Jim Lampley is our guest, Boxing Hall of Famer, iconic broadcaster. Uh, One more thing about your course, which I wasn't too aware of, and it sounds unbelievable. Love to see this class and the students and how much they're getting out of it. With cable sports and Some of the argument shows and the embrace debate and the clickbait shows and the louder shows and instead of having two people talk, now there's 11 or 12 screaming over each other. Where do you stand with that? What direction are we going with when it comes to broadcasting talk shows or studio shows that seem to be dumbing down to the lowest common denominator and getting louder?
3: I love you, JT. You're a very honest person and you have never shied away from the truth. Uh, you know, everybody in our sector of the world, particularly the boxing audience, still hurts to a certain degree that uh, new ownership at uh, uh, Time Warner slash HBO decided to uh, to get rid of boxing. That mm-hmm. that hurt. Um, and uh, uh, recently, we we saw the uh, the next step in the process, which was the demise of real sports. Real sports was. In its heyday, a mm-hmm. uh, uniquely intelligent, uniquely informative, uh, honest, journalistic look at sports stories and circumstances. I won two Emmys for Best Sports Reporting because of stories about the matrix of gambling and sports on uh, real sports. Mm-hmm. Now, Bryant, Bryant retires, Joe goes away, and there's yet another intelligent, broad based forum in sports that needs to be somehow recreated or duplicated uh, in another space. So uh, I love the fact that even just doing this interview with you, first time we've been together in a few years, Mm -hmm. I can tell that your uh, view of sports and your uh, context and your table of contents for the questions you ask and the interviews that you want to do uh, is bigger, broader, more academic, and more informed than it was 15, 20 years ago Uh, when we were first doing this Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Congratulations to you on the growth that that I can already hear you're exhibiting.
0: Uh, Jim, tell me about the fight, Uh, Canelo, Charlo. What should we expect here? I like legacy fights. I like when three belts are on the line from one division, four in the other. But I don't think a lot of people understand Canelo's opponent and the trials and tribulations of his career. What's at stake Saturday night at T-Mobile?
3: There's a discovery story with regard to Charlo. You're absolutely right. People don't understand the trials and tribulations of his career, and uh, I'm sure that Mauro Ronaldo and his colleagues on the uh, Showtime broadcast are going to get to that and handle it well. Uh, I think Lance Pugmire and I might have a few things mm-hmm. to say also on PPV.com. Um, the, the center of the story, obviously, is the number one fighter in the sport, and he, he made a matchmaking error. I, I, I was startled when he took the fight. I still don't understand who it was or why it was somebody thought it was a good idea to fight Dmitry Bivol. He didn't need to do that. Uh-huh. There was nobody here in the Western world boxing audience saying, ah, I absolutely demand to see him against Bivol. He's not legit if he doesn't fight him. Nonsense. Bivol was a Russian fighter. He was easy to ignore if Canelo wanted to ignore him. So why did he fight somebody who was longer, stronger, very athletic, tremendous craft, uh, it was a risk he didn't need to take. And now he has paid a price for it. What's the price? He's no longer pound for pound number one. He was pound for pound number one. He was pound for pound number one and dollar for dollar number one. Uh, not always an easy thing to do, but he did it. And uh, and he was on his way to stamping himself pretty indisputably as the greatest Mexican fighter of all time. And then he had the little stumble against the bull. So uh, I think he's trying to He's a very proud man, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, driven by pride every step of the way. He's never been entirely about money for Canelo. It's always about his identity, where he places himself within his culture. Uh, And I I think he still wants that and is still chasing it. What would be the biggest thing he could do before he ceases his uh, fantastic boxing career? Get back to pound for pound number one. Mm -hmm. What does that now require? It requires a fight with Terrence Crawford. Uh, in order to be pound for pound number one on this planet at this moment, you've got to beat Terrence Crawford. And uh, Canelo, as we know, is the larger of the two men and has tremendous boxing craft, just as does Crawford. It's a dream fight, uh, and, and it's a dream fight regardless of at which weight it could take place. But Canelo's got to beat uh, Charlo, which is no walk in the park, yes. uh, no easy call in order to get to that plateau. Uh, And if Charlo beats Canelo, now you're talking about another contender uh, to go forward, fight Crawford, and get the pound-for-pound number one. Or maybe his older brother, or older brother, larger brother. Mm -hmm. Larger brother, Jermall, is the one who gets that opportunity. There are are, uh, a handful of interconnected stories that swirl around this fight, but by far the biggest one is, and Canelo finishes his career on the plateau where he wants to be.
0: PPV.com will be live streaming all the action Saturday, September 30th, 8 p.m. Eastern. The live stream features the return of the legendary boxing journalist, our guest, Jim Lampley, who will co-host the viewer chat in real time. I'll see you at the fight, Jim. Great to connect with you again on the radio. Uh,
3: Same thing, JT. Great to talk to you as well.
0: You got it, Jim Lampley. Very proud of that conversation. Uh, we covered everything in his career. I didn't know he's got this course. Now he's teaching at North Carolina. Uh, the fact, and well, I'm going to do a deeper dive with him on a podcast. The fact that he is not the lead blow-by-blow commentator in boxing is one of the biggest injustices in my career covering over 100 championship fights. There are plenty of good blow-by-blow boxing commentators who have done this. No one at the level of Jim Lampley. So when he's not on the fight... Not that the other gentlemen aren't okay and very good. They're not Jim Lampley. Hope you enjoyed that. I'll be at the Canelo-Charlo fight on Saturday night. Steve Wisniewski. This is going to be good. Wiz joins us next.
1: This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders.
0: Yeah, I haven't, I haven't been on line, and my TV hasn't been on a whole lot. I mean, it's not. I'm not avoiding it. I just, you know, been working and trying to, you know, go through our stuff. Um, I get it. You know, like I said, I understand both sides of the, the equation. You know, and and had we stopped them on third down on defense and had the ball with two minutes to go. You know, it it is what it is. You know, that's football. You know, sometimes you make a decision and it and it works out for the best, and sometimes you make one and it does not, you know. So, um I, I like I said, I can see both sides of it. It's Josh McDaniels on why he kicked a field goal. I disagree. I thought he should have went for the points with Devontae. I thought every play should have went to Devontae. But you live, you learn, you move on. We got a game. Once a raider, always a raider. Brought to you by M Resort Spawn Casino. Particularly, I wanted Steve Wisniewski, one of the greatest offensive linemen in Raider history, heading into this Charger game. Wiz, my good friend, we miss you out here. Hope you're doing well. How are you? JT, always a pleasure to be on your show.
1: I love your take. You're usually spot on, and uh, I just love the energy you bring, brother.
0: Thank you, my friend. Let's begin. The offensive line had the leading rusher in football and Josh Jacobs. He led the league in rushing. We don't see it this year. He held out. For the franchise tag, we understood that. He got some money, a little extra to come back with incentives. The offensive line is not getting it done. How do you fix that quickly when a season starts so it's not a trailing problem the whole season?
3: Hey, you
1: read my mind. I was going to bring that up. Uh, you know, this running game just hasn't been in sync. In Buffalo, we didn't. We got behind quick. Um, you know, small victories, JT. Before you can score 30 points, you got to score three points, you know. And so uh, I think it's important to start a game fast, being committed to the run, moving the ball around the field. But small victories, um, it feels like just, you know, it's early. We're only three weeks into 17 weeks, but um, they haven't been in sync on this running game yet.
0: Lincoln Kennedy said on our podcast this week that the interior, the center, and the guards – Got to do a better job with leverage, the explosion. I know you watch a lot of football. You see Jason Kelsey of Philadelphia. Not only does he come up and blow up the nose guard tackle, then he gets to the next level and he's got his hands on linebackers. Wiz, you were able to do that. If if an offensive line isn't doing that, they're not getting to the linebacker level. They're not getting downfield. How do you work on that with an offensive line coach in practice to work on the fundamentals again? Well, you know,
1: I think I gave uh, Greg Beekert more concussions than he can count, and he gave me more concussions than I could count. Uh, Back in that time, he was the middle linebacker, as you recall, for nine years at the Raiders. We really went after it. Nine-on-seven interior run in practice was a very physical event, and I believe it starts in practice, JT. Uh, It really does. I know these guys are battling. I watch every snap, and I'm on a text thread with a bunch of former Raiders uh, we're proud of their effort, but yeah, that Interior 3, it starts with them. Uh, they know how to do it because they led the league last year. I mean, mm-hmm. and this isn't something foreign to us. I think it just takes an emphasis, getting back to basics and um, and emphasizing it, but I, I feel like we just haven't been quite in sync yet, and you're right. I think the Interior 3 definitely have uh, a little bit of work to do.
0: Steve Wisniewski, Raider legend, joins us. And one of the other reasons, because the team's one and two, there's plenty of football left, but I feel like this is a turning point in the season. If they can get to two and two, then they have Green Bay, New England, Chicago struggling. They could really stack some wins. But, Wiz, you've been there when you're struggling or when you're on great teams, when it's not working out, the leaders some are quiet like Colt Miller some are a little bit more unique like Devante and Max what do you expect in the locker room going into this division rivalry on game day so everyone's on the same page coming out of the tunnel in Los Angeles in front of your former city where you played a lot of games the LA Raider fans who are going to be taking over that building
1: yeah I think we're going to have a a great showing from Raider fans that's going to be awesome it does take team leadership, and if you look at the defense, okay, we know Max Crosby's a leader I would and, and, and I can't say enough great things about him, but I don't see many linebackers, any linebackers. I feel like it's it's a no name defense, uh, but they're playing their butts off, but there's no one you really scheme against except for max and mm-hmm. I feel like we could use another uh, leader, especially the linebacker position. I always felt the, the linebacker had to be a quarterback of the defense. And then looking at the offense, you know, Jimmy G's new. He's probably in this uh, concussion protocol. We don't even Mm -hmm. know if he'll play. Um, But there just aren't many vocal leaders. Devontae steps up a bit and, again, can't say enough great things about him. But I'd love to see alignment. I'd like to see someone more vocal uh, take charge of that offense. Really take some, some leadership in the tough times to push through and to be positive and to make sure no one's, you know, And they won't, but make sure no one's mentally getting down in the tank. You know, we're only three games into this season.
0: Wiz joins us. That's the whole basis for this entire interview and why we wanted to book you is to find some vocal leaders because now when the Wolves are at the door and the media is saying, hey, man, the last game, home opener, you lose, you kick a field goal or not, it brings some doubt into the equation. That doubt can't get into the locker room, especially at your position on the offensive line. The offensive line, I think, really has to take ownership on what's happened just with their skill position group and have a better game. And all they got to do is is throw on the uh, tape from last year and see what Josh was doing. They're going out to dinners. Josh is getting them gifts as he leads the league in rushing. Mentally, how do you put yourself back in that situation? How'd you do it? Well, we had a
1: strong group, uh, JT, you know, you talk to Lincoln all the time. Lincoln and I were together. Kevin Gogan, I talked to him weekly. Um, you know, Don Mosbar, Barrett Robbins back then. We, we had a really tight group and we felt like it's us against the world. And we felt like every Sunday, the victory that week kind of depended on what we're going to do on the offensive line and, and also on the defensive line. And, you know, again, this year, We're not really seeing the defensive line. There's, there's other than Max, nobody's really stepping up big. Um, They're playing their butts off. um, um, You know, hats off on their effort. But uh, I always think it it begins in the trenches. We just haven't been in sync, really, either side of the ball thus far. And uh, it starts today in practice.
0: Steve Wisniewski, once a Raider, always a Raider. So it was really nice. The Ken Stabler's family got their ring. You know, Mark went behind the scenes to get that to happen, not only the Stabler family, but all the deceased Hall of Famers. A lot of gold jackets were there in the building. So the strength of the organization, the alumni, you're a part of that is fantastic, but this team now is at a point with a new quarterback and new players all over the place. It's go time. And, Wiz, I just want to get into that rivalry with the Chargers. I've never asked you in all our interviews. I know what you felt about Denver. Clearly, Kansas City has come on to be the premier team in all of football now, but you had some epic battles in San Diego, and Raider fans were able to get there. Obviously, your home game's in L.A. or Oakland, but what do you remember about those road trips to San Diego, Jack Murphy, before it became Qualcomm?
1: It brings a smile to my face. You know what? I think I played. He was one year behind me, but Junior Seau, I think uh, we might have met him once in the preseason, uh, plus twice every year or something. But I think I had 25 or 26 games against Junior Seau. They always had a tough defense. He was able to hit wherever he wanted to hit uh, as far as on the line of scrimmage. They gave him the freedom to kind of go where he felt led. And uh, it was a battle every week. But what always made me smile is there was always more Raider fans when we went down to Jack Murphy Stadium than uh, Charger fans. It, uh, it felt like a, a home away from home. But we knew it was going to be a battle. We knew it was going to come down to, to the you know final three points, the end of the game. And uh, great football, great rivalry. Uh, those that did show up, they were brave because they knew they were going to face some angry Raider fans. Uh, but those were good times, JT. It really was.
0: Yeah, it was last time we were Texans together. I know. I think you're up in Washington fishing with some former yes. teammates. I know you're in the market every day like I am. What's going on in your personal life with you and the family?
1: Thank you so much. Um, things are well. Doing travels. I live in, in, in Austin, Texas. Uh, if the Raiders call, I go out there. I was out at the facility a week ago. They asked me to come out for an appearance, and I'll come out for two or three games. Uh, but I'm a loud and proud Raider. I, I communicate with Kevin Gogan and, and, and Greg Beekert. Mm-hmm. Uh, weekly, Jeff Hostetler, we're talking about games. And, um, yeah, I, I watch every snap. And I'm, I'm proud to be a Raider. I'm proud of their effort. And now we need to make a few tweaks, mm-hmm. hopefully to get more wins. But uh, I am still love to be involved. Yeah,
0: how about this alumni department? Shannon, Callie, Katie, the whole crew there. They love when I told them you're coming on today. They knew it. They set it up, man. They love you. And just nice to have an organization where the alumni department with health and wellness will reach out to you and your peers and your former teammates, older and younger, and reach out and just ask how you're doing.
1: That's exactly right. And, and your listeners probably assume that's how it is around the National Football League. People think, oh, every team must do that, and actually, virtually no teams do this. The Raiders it just head and shoulders above the rest of the league as far as connecting the players, making us feel part of the family, and reaching out to help with you know health and wellness, welfare, and even a you know annual trip to Las Vegas for a, an alumni reunion. It is a very special, very rare, and it's all because of Mark Davis and uh, his father uh, before him, Al Davis, uh, their commitment to players and uh, their love for the players that helped build the organization.
0: Wiz, I know I speak for millions. I don't say millions are listening now, but the entire Raider Nation, we needed to hear from you going into this game. The team needs they need a shot of adrenaline the way you were able to provide that throughout your career. Hopefully this helps and the Raiders get a win in Los Angeles. We hope so.
1: Yes, sir. Great job, JT. Always a pleasure to be with you anytime. I'm there for you, brother. I look forward to seeing you.
0: You got it. There he is, Steve Wisniewski. How about that start to the show? Jim Lampley, Steve Wisniewski, brought to you by Tequila Commissario, the best tequila, the premier 100% oral natural, estate-grown, small batch, handcrafted, known to create tequila connoisseurs. Tequila Commissario, expressions are defined as elegant, Balanced, elevated like Steve Wisniewski, and distinguished. Wow, really? That I wanted that today. You know, the no negativity in my house today. Y'all want to be negative, y'all freaking out? That's okay. You're gonna get some positivity here in the hopes that they win the game, man. Get to two and two and get on a roll, the part of the schedule where I think there could be a roll in a positive direction. We'll see. We'll talk to someone who knows the Raiders inside now, Bill Williamson. He's got a lot to say about this past performance next.
2: You know, we're obviously familiar with the Chargers, playing them twice a year, being the, in being the same system with Coach Daly. They have very good talent on all three levels. Um, like I said, every week with Murray at linebacker, you know, Derwin James is a very productive player in the back end. You know, Samuel, JC Jackson, Davis is an experienced player in the scheme. And then obviously the two edge guys um, do a phenomenal job, Bosa and Mack. So you have to be prepared at all three levels, similar to how we talked about it versus Denver and then Buffalo. You know, they play very good football and they play very good situational football. You know, they, they have an attack mindset and they look to create negative plays. So... We have to do a good job of staying true to our rules and making sure we don't have those negative plays pop up because that's what we're looking for. We're looking for turnovers, and negative plays. And if we do a good job of taking care of the football, both from a runner standpoint and from a quarterback standpoint, then we can kind of negate some of the things they want to try and do. But, you know, we, I think it starts with us first um, and then it carries over to them.
0: Yeah, that's Mick Lombardi. I agree. Everything he's saying about the other teams got to start with the Raiders. Bill Williamson, kind enough to join us, covering the Raiders longer than anyone in this market, the great work that he does. At silverandblackpride.com. Bill, a lot of content from you coming off the loss, but I want to begin from the Raider defense after these first three games compared to last year and the struggling offense. What do the numbers show you?
4: Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, just, you know, big picture, the Raiders have been outscored 77 to 45 in three games last year, and they're one and two, of course. Last year, 0 oh, 3. It was 77, the same number, uh, uh, given up, and they scored 64. So they scored 19 more points, you know, six points a game more last year with Derek as quarterback. You know, that's the main difference. Um, and they didn't win any games. They, the games are a lot closer. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know the Denver game was close. Buffalo, they got thumped, and then, Pittsburgh was never really close. I mean, 23-18 looks better than it really was, right? There was never any real, like, oh, my God, they're, they're really in this thing. They're always on the cusp of it, but they never got really – it wasn't that – was, Pittsburgh won that game. Mm-hmm. So you look at it, you look at those numbers, are, are they improved big picture? I'm not taking anything away from a victory. A victory is, is a big deal. Um, and they're only 1-2, and, and they can get right this week. But in the big picture, have they improved? And I think that's a question you can really ask. And the offense has, has obviously regressed, and the defense looks about the same. And yeah. there's no turnovers. There's no pass rush other than Max Crosby, and that's the same old song, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Bill Williamson joins us. So, Bill, I can't. I can only be as critical as saying what I'm saying here. I don't agree with the field goal. I thought they should have went for six, which could have been eight. With a two point conversion, you saw it in real time, and now you had a chance to evaluate. What'd you think? And and how did the coach handle it, knowing that there was a lot of criticism coming along with that?
4: You know, I, I think the way he handled it was fine. I mean, you know, all these coaches have to deal with that. He wasn't the only coach that got questioned, and Sean Son, Son McVay did his own kind of weird thing with a punt late Monday, and it's a Super Bowl winning head coach, so. They're all, none of them are immune to it. I thought he handled it okay. The next day he came back and he was, okay, I can see where you, where you could feel that way. I had to reporters' question because he probably saw that stat that he was the first one to do it since 1994. You know, I mean, it was an odd decision. Learn from it. But he makes a lot of odd decisions. And the thing is that, you know, it, it, it's really critical about it is he did it twice within a minute. Pittsburgh mm. bailed him out. And my immediate tweet after the second one was like, Well, okay, if that was the plan, if if you were okay with settling with field goal again, even closer, why don't you just decline the field, the, the the penalty and you can save yourself a minute. Mm-hmm. And if, if they did get that three and out after that in that situation, they would have had over, you know, about two and a half minutes to go down and, and, and take the lead. So there's a lot to unpack there as well.
0: Yeah, Bill Williamson's our guest, silverandblackpride.com. Until they can get a three-and-out stop in a critical game and show the head coach that, I would rather see them go down with offense and Devontae Adams. I mean, Devontae Adams is a special player, very similar to Randy Moss. When you're in the red zone, eight-yard line, five-yard line, whatever it is, the high-point catch, the double team is not an issue. It's hard with the double team, but he's made many catches before. Bill, I'm struggling with this offensive line. I don't know why they're not getting any push. I'm not asking them to be the Cowboys and the Eagles. With the snap count and Jimmy Garoppolo, I just don't know why they're not getting off the ball faster and more violent and at least opening up some holes here because the linebackers are filling those holes and meeting Josh Jacobs not in the hole but a yard or two behind the line of scrimmage. How do you fix that?
4: Yeah, and and it's very consistent. It's happening. Pittsburgh entered that game last in the NFL in, in run defense in those first two weeks, and they were consistently getting to the hole. He did break a couple. You know, and he had 62 on 17, but that's not what we expect from him. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not an offensive line expert. I don't know how you fix it, but there's. I know there's just a lot of nuanced issues on both sides of the ball that are, done, that are contributing to the lackluster play. Jimmy's not a guy that can that can uh, carry an offense in the passing game, and then you look at the passing game. Why is it all Devontae? Why is it Devontae and some Myers? Where's the tight ends? Where's Hunter Renfro? I mean, the Hunter Renfro thing is almost not even a story anymore because it's not just not happening. It's almost like okay, this, that's that's not a thing anymore. A guy who caught 103 passes, you know, just two seasons ago, and I mean his, his numbers are. Just the opportunities are just meager. You look at the tight end thing. Through three games last year. The tight end, you know, Waller and Moreau, both not on the team, of course, anymore. Mm-hmm. They had 19 catches combined for three games. Cooper and Mayer have four. I mean, yeah. what's, there's a lot going on here that's just not jiving to productive
0: drives. Bill, last one, the Charger game. You got to stop. When you look at the defensive game plan, I think they have to have corners out on the field, safeties out on the field, and they got to blitz. If they don't blitz, Justin Herbert's going to chew him up. That's what he does. These corners can't cover long enough, and the safeties aren't ball hawks. So you got that Hobbs out on the field. You got to have, you know, Peters. You got to have the guys who can catch the ball, even though. Marcus dropped the ball on a pick six that could have ended the game. Really could have after a bomb touchdown and a pick six that could have took the will away from him, and it didn't happen. What's the one key to this game plan that could give the Raiders a shot to beat the Chargers in L.A.? Well, I
4: think defensively, look at this guy is playing out of his mind. He's obviously, you know, humming with Kevin Moore as his coordinator. Hasn't thrown any interceptions. Raiders haven't got any interceptions. So you're going to need some interceptions. You're going to need some luck. You're going to need the ball to bounce your way. And you know you're going to just need to keep him to some field goals because he is going to score some points. The key to beating the Chargers is outscoring them and letting Brandon Staley overthink himself. Mm-hmm. So they got to. They really the offense. is in this game, too, for the Raiders, because they're just going to have to keep up with the Chargers a little bit, and the Chargers defense has been bad, and during James isn't practicing today, Boza and Mac aren't practicing today, I don't know the deal with Boza and Mac, it could be mm-hmm. rest, James had a hamstring, yes. there was some optimism, so we may see all three of those guys, but they've been giving up, they've given up 24 points at least this, in every game, the Raiders haven't scored more than 18, so... Someone has to get there. I think the Raiders are going to have to score a lot of points. And defensively, you've got to get some turnovers. It yes. has to start happening. And they're going to have to, you know, keep him out of the
0: end zone. That's it. They've got to stop them in the red zone and hope they settle for some early field goals. Bill, good to talk to you. A lot of good content this week. Thank you. We'll talk to you in two weeks. All
4: right, Bill care.
0: Williamson joining us. Always good content there. And he's critical. So I put critical people on. We do that because, look, not everyone's going to be an in-house guy. And Bill, all of his content up there, talks about the game and what needs to happen. Herbert's really good. I think you have to switch it up. Patrick Graham, there's no more conservative play. Who cares if you lose conservatively? Take some chances, some corner blitzes, do some things that will look different than what the Chargers are looking at on film. That hour brought to you by Modelo. The fighting spirit of Modelo is exactly what the silver and black count on. Modelo, proud partner of our show.